Welcome to the Dead Format, episode 23. My name is Ian McEwen, and I'm joined tonight by my co-host, the ravisher of Riesling, Thomas Smiley, and we're here to talk about Legacy. It was the only thing that I had left in the fridge after our weekend of drinking Miller Lite. Did you actually finish those Miller Lights you brought over? Of course I did. Nice. Good for you. I am not real American here. I am not above drinking a cold Miller Lite when they're in the fridge. However, I'm still I'm still pretty off that warm Miller Lite train. So this weekend we we got to see each other actually for the first time since we started this podcast, probably. No, that's not true. <laughs> well, we got to see each other anyway. Yeah, that that was a good time. Thank you for inviting us over. Yeah, your son is a, a monster. Absolutely the most dexterous child of that age I've ever seen. He he makes us work every day to keep him out of things. So it's like playing Jenga with all the furniture we have in the house to make sure that he can't get in, in, into any places that he shouldn't be getting into. Dude, it's pretty unreal. I consider myself something of an expert because I've had five younger brothers. And... That kid is way more mechanically inclined than any of my younger brothers were at that age or even younger sisters. Like that that kid could open stuff. He would open drawers with the ex- like explicit intention of using them as stairs to get onto something higher and was very aware of who was watching him at a given time and would move quicker if he thought he was in risk of being interrupted. It, it was really pretty cool to watch him. <laughs> well, we get we get a lot of that around here. So, were you able to watch any of the legacy coverage this weekend? So, I was disappointed. I had some time hashed out for Friday, and it turns out that Nico Nico actually wasn't doing the day one coverage. It was just text, and I didn't end up getting to catch up with any of the coverage on Friday because it wasn't broadcast. And Saturday, I sort of had family things going on where I didn't get a chance to look at it. But the Wizards coverage person who does the APAC region, I think his name is Chapman, does an outstanding job. And all of the things that I wish... I don't want to dump on whoever Watsi's US coverage people are. Corbin Hosler? Corbin Hosler. But the, the last few legacy grand prix or at least the grand prix that it really mattered to me we didn't get Edo decklist published we didn't get metagame breakdowns we got sort of the bare minimum decklist at the end of the day and that was it the apac coverage from watsi is a lot better than the u.s coverage i uh i did appreciate the text coverage i was looking through it just now i was able to watch uh two rounds it was um Jody Keith and Cyrus doing uh, commentary on, I don't remember, it was like really late Friday night, I believe, so it was Saturday there, and it was a Chalice mirror followed by Grixis versus Chalice, so I was like way more involved in whatever else was going on at the time, like a rerun of South Park or something, but yeah, it was unfortunate that they didn't have the, uh, the Friday coverage, too bad. I agree. So you put up that time vault on a week ago, I guess. It was probably like Tuesday of last week. 
and we just got word from Jerry that we've hit a a pretty good number, honestly, a number that I, I think we were both looking to hit with this, and I think we'll be happy pretty much uh, anything now is cream, right? Yeah, we originally made the post on the Leaving a Legacy Facebook group that we are raffling off the time vault that I talked about last week. It already has a few hundred entries. We cross-posted it to our Twitter account, so if you want to check out the raffle for an unlimited time vault, the tickets are a dollar each, and the information is on our Twitter page, at DeadFormatCast. And we're super excited that we're going to get to make a donation to a needy family this Christmas, and hopefully... With the additional playmats we're going to be putting up in the next week, we can out-donate Pat and Jerry from Leaving a Legacy. We've just had so many positive messages and responses from the fundraising that we're doing, so I want to thank everybody who entered and everybody who is potentially going to enter before it closes. Yeah, we had a great response, too, from the New England Old School group. I posted in there and saw those guys on Wednesday night at Moogie's. And I think pretty much everybody who was there on Wednesday night has contributed at this point. And yeah, it's just awesome of those guys, uh, always in the spirit of giving. And yeah, good luck. Whoever wins that time vault, it's a freaking sweet prize. I think it's probably the best prize I've seen go up for raffle uh, in one of these Facebook groups. Yeah, and I want to personally thank all of the members of that Neos group. When you put up that raffle post immediately there were just like 15 20 people that all donated and i obviously have a lot of respect for the people in a leaving a legacy group but those old school players everything that they're doing to organize their tournaments has a charity base around it and it's it's great to see that coming out of a community yeah it's a really older crowd you know it's a lot of parents and stuff and just a a lot of goodwill A, a lot of people who can also afford to do it too right like, I don't want to hold that against anybody. That's true. Yeah, it's just people, you know, who are a little a little older, a little farther on in life, I guess. So it really worked out well, I think. And this playmat thing we got coming up, we got DJ's Counterspell playmat, which is beautiful. I've had to fight the urge not to play with it a couple times already. Uh, we've got your Library of Alexandria. And I'm going to throw in whichever one of mine is worth more. I have like the Ancestral and the Tolerian Academy. I've got a few nice playmats here, so I'm going to see which one is is worth the most and throw that in. Outstanding. I can't wait to see what what we end up raising. And apparently we, we all have a date where we are going to go shopping for the family. And as the sort of the elder statesman of the group... I had to inform Jerry that when we're sponsoring the family, we do have to buy things like clothes and coats and winter boots and mittens, mostly because I want Jerry to say mittens in person. But apparently oh. he put he put himself in charge of just buying the toys because he originally assumed that we we're going to be able to spend all of the money on toys for the children. And he was very excited about going shopping. Oh my god, I hate to see what kind of uh, Star Wars action figures he comes out with. I have a feeling as a Hasbro shareholder, he would be checking <laughs> checking the ha- to make sure that we incorporated enough Hasbro 
properties into our cart. Anything else that we wanted to cover in the intro this week? Yeah, we're we're really bad at setting Patreon goals. So I, every week I continue to just get absolutely blown away by the support we get. So last week we set a goal where we were going to get a Twitch overlay done and get some streaming in. And we already broke that mark. So I'd like to thank John Celso, the Balduvian Bears himself, and Victor Bernhardt's for their contributions to our Patreon that allowed us to crack that goal this week. I actually ordered holiday slash thank you cards from Amazon, so I'm going to be sending those out this week to everybody who's contributed, and I've, I was just super blown away at how great everyone has been in our Discord and in their support. So you said we're going to get a Twitch overlay? I think we're going to get two. So it's going to be sort of the same for you and I, only you're going to have your name and I'm going to have mine. Well, so they need to be a little different though, right? Because yours is for Arena? Oh, come on. I still I still know how to play some Magic Online. Even though I had to I had to send you a message to to ask you how to tell me how to hold priority again cuz I didn't want to fuck it up when <laughs> I was cracking my lines. I diamond. That happened. That really did happen, but I remembered. All right, so you're not going to be streaming Arena then? I will not Fake be news. streaming Arena. That is not that is not what I'm about. Yeah, I guess we should uh, just hop into Shizoka. Really? We don't we don't want to talk about Star Wars or? Well, okay. I put this in the intro. I'm not really sure why. Uh, at old school on Wednesday night, everybody wanted to talk to me about Star Wars because this just like took <laughs> off. This like I haven't seen Star Wars thing, and everybody had a different opinion on which movies I need to avoid. Like I heard, absolutely do not see the prequel. I heard, absolutely do not see the most recent ones. Some colorful language was aimed at those. Uh, I've heard from our buddy DJ, donator of the Counterspell Mat, that I should see one called uh, Return of the Jedi and another one that I don't remember. And yeah, I, I've gotten probably as many people as have talked to me have given me their opinions on it. I'd say about one-third favorable, two-thirds unfavorable. So if I'm a tomato, I'm rotting away right now. I saw the Venom movie like two weeks ago. So I've already met my fiction quota for 2018, so I'm thinking maybe like early 2019 we can we can cross this off. Okay, now that's that's coming up shortly. I can live with that. And I remember when the Venom trailer started to come out, you sent me a message that I thought was sarcastic, but with your sort of your sort of background excluding all of these things, you were like, "Yo, did you know that they made an evil Spider-Man movie? And I was like, I, I, didn't, I didn't realize that you were being serious at that moment. But I remember, I remember you asking me that. Well, yeah, it's evil Spider-Man, but it turns out it's like an alien Spider-Man, actually. Yes. In, in fact, this is a true story. I, I actually thought that there was a scientific word that was actually a comic book word completely completely through my childhood. So they they call that suit, the black suit, the symbiote. The, the symbiote, right? And I thought because symbiotic is an actual science word 
that symbiote was an actual science word. It turns out symbiote is not. Symbiote is the Marvel comic word for that, and it's actually something like symbiont. But basically, I was having this conversation with somebody, and that term came up, and they were like, yo, that that term, <laughs> that's not... That's not a real word. And I was like, symbiotic is a real word. Symbiote is a real word. I'm going to fucking Google it. And then when I Googled it, I was like, oh shit, it's not. And I actually think that it came up in conversation because of a magic card. Because there was a, a Demir card that was printed called Psychic Symbiont in M19. And I thought, wow, Wizards is really ripping on Marvel with this word. And then I found out that that word is the real word and Marvel made up their own. So, I'm dumb. That's that's basically what it comes down to. I would not have known that. Now you know. Yeah, that's, that's pretty crazy, man. I had a similar experience. I'm not even going to talk about this. Never mind. All right. Let's talk about the Grand Prix, man. Yeah, let, let's I'm, let's do that. I'm pumped for this. So, last week, we like talked about how the Grand Prix was coming up and how we were excited. Because it seems like there's just something crazy that comes out of every Japanese Grand Prix. And while there wasn't anything crazy, I think you and I can both agree that these decks were fairly stock... There were some crazy things that were happening in the Japanese metagame, and I'm not sure if it's because the United States metagame is just completely independent from the Japanese, if they are ahead of us, or if they're just sort of lagging behind. And let me sort of phrase what I mean by that. We were lucky enough with the coverage to actually get a metagame breakdown of the top 100 decks going into day two. Now, obviously that's not the full day two coverage, or the full day two metagame, but it's close enough to the top half of it. And what we saw was more Delver in this Grand Prix than we had seen since Death Shadow was at its peak. The top represented deck going into day two was Grixis Delver with 17. Of the top 100. That's crazy. We in the US have seen a smattering of Grixis Delver decks because of how prevalent Baleful Strix has been. I think that we've actually seen more Grixis Control than Grixis Delver. So by smattering, you meant like only a few? Yeah, only a few. Not not 17% of the top 100. By far the most represented deck. And in addition to that, we saw quite a bit of blue-red. Now, I knew blue-red was strong, but as this metagame sort of evolved, because we not only have the top 100 after round 9, but we have it after round 13, blue-red Delver had the most decks in the top 100 after round 13. They had 10. And that's not including the two decks later that are classified as blue-red wizards. So we saw Grixis Delver drop to, like, half of its original value. We saw Grixis Control gain a little bit, but the prevalence of Grixis Delver over Grixis Control in this Grand Prix was something that shot out to me immediately as something that was different than it was here. 
Yeah, that's honestly crazy. I wasn't even sure if I should trust these numbers because 17% Grixis Delver is like, I don't know. We're seeing like 5% max, I would say, so, since the ban for that deck. Yeah, so so this is why I was unsure whether or not they are just behind or they're way ahead. Like, right at the beginning, Grixis Delver was a deck that people still tried to adapt. There was quite a bit of it. But that deck sort of got pushed aside as the Delver deck of choice and Shadow and Blue-Red sort of shot up, right? Mm -hmm. In the last few weeks, though, we did sort of see a resurgence of combo, if you take a look at what happened at Eternal Weekend. So either those players were predicting that combo-heavy metagame and chose to bring Grixis Delver, or they never made the adjustment that most Grixis Delver players made here in the States moving to Grixis Control. Where maybe those players just continued to refine and evolve their Delver decks and never made that switch over to Baleful Strix. And that's why we're seeing the numbers we're seeing. Yeah, I don't want to get like too into like the psychological analysis of this, but I think that having these Grand Prix the same weekend as a standard Grand Prix... I think that does have some effect on the players. I think there were like 1450 in this Grand Prix, which is a good turnout. But I think that, you know, like the people who show up because there are two Grand Prix in one weekend, they're not necessarily legacy players. They're just magic players that want to, you know, play legacy and then play standard. Uh, I think that those people are probably inclined to play Delver decks. That's always been my assumption. Yeah, but those you would think those players would be people who who might not have access to legacy cards and you would expect more less you would expect less decks that cost that amount of money. Yeah, it's possible. I I don't really think of the money being a difference between blue red delver and like Grixis delver, but I guess there is some sort of money thing there. See, the thing with Grixis delver is it's basically only like five cards that you need to to buy, right? Like dual lands. And you have the whole rest of the deck if you're like a magic player. Okay, yeah, I think if you're an eternal magic player, you have your force of wills, you have your commons and uncommons. Right. And the dual lands obviously are the the majority of the cost of the deck. But one, I think it's great that even though it was a three day Grand Prix with Legacy on Friday, that this Grand Prix got 1,450 people. There were a lot of people that were complaining about what the attendance was like in, in Seattle and what the attendance was like in Richmond, but you can't compare a Grand Prix that's a single event with one of these three-day events that you have to take an, an older crowd, generally, that has more work and life commitments and expect them to get there to play on a Friday. So I'm happy about the numbers for this Grand Prix. But if this was its own standalone event on Saturday, that, that set of numbers would have been much bigger. Yeah, I think that's likely. I think that I, I heard this. I don't remember where I heard this and whether or not it's true, but it might have been in the AMA that Channel Fireball did last week, but they're not going to have like independent Legacy Grand Prix anymore. Did you hear that? I did not fully read through the AMA. That's unfortunate. I understand why they're doing it. And I don't want to call for just another TO 
to step in to do what Channel Fireball has been doing. But man, Channel Fireball telling the vendors that Grand Prix attendance was way up. That's just <laughs> that's that just rubs me the wrong way. And they're gonna do whatever they're gonna do until their contract is up. Yeah, it's whatever. You know, we can't really do anything about it. So it is what it is. Vote with your feet, I guess. So for this Grand Prix, the top eight, we had two Chalice decks, two blue-white decks, two Grixis control decks, a blue-red Delver, and Lance. How does that compare to what you figured we'd see? So I thought that the two blue-white decks would end up being miracles. I thought Grixis control was about where I thought it was going to be. I thought Eldrazi was where I thought that it was going to be. It's actually kind of vindicating to see that that Stompy won the tournament, even though it was slightly different than the build that I played. It didn't have any walking ballista, and it went a little bigger. I thought that all of those things were the things that, that I was expecting. The lands deck, did you see that this had three Sylvan Library main deck? Bro, I did see that. That, that got me pumped. Like... Thinking that this 60-card list that has had the most innovation in it to be whether or not you're playing Grove of... Sorry, whether or not you're playing Port or Ghost Quarter as your second four of Mana Disruption, I I really enjoyed the fact that this just gave itself another turn to play to play off a diamond that could punish the slower decks. But... Miracles being locked out of top eight and Red Prison really, really pushing hard this tournament were things that I wasn't really ready for. So that Stoneblade deck, that Delver deck, I thought were going to end up being Miracles. The uh, Red Prison deck I thought would probably be something like a Sneak and Show. And that left the Delver deck as something that I didn't expect to make top eight, but just given the sheer amount of them in the day two meta, I, I can't be surprised by it. Yeah, I would have definitely agreed with most of your top eight. I probably would have put a blue-red Delver deck in there, honestly. A lot of the blue-red players I've been playing against online are Japanese players, so it seems like the deck's pretty popular over there. And also... If you think back to like when the Pro Tour was going on, like back in August or so, and we made like our top eight predictions for that, I was just realizing this really isn't that different from what we predicted at the time, right? We got like an, a Stompy, like an Eldrazi Stompy deck. You were putting like a blue-white deck in that top eight. Uh, I was putting a blue-red deck in. We both had two Grixis Control decks. It really is making me think about how you said like maybe they're they're actually a bit farther behind us because that's kind of like what we were expecting to see at that pro tour, right? Yeah. And I, again, I, I don't, I can't, I can't go about trying to interpret why people are playing what they are playing. But anyway, like I thought miracles was going to be here. It wasn't, it ended up finishing in ninth and in the top 16, we saw another Chalice deck. We saw Steel Stompy. We saw some more Delvers. Uh, quite a bit of Grixis. A little bit of Blue Red. And we saw two Hex Steps. Yeah. So, like, this 
metagame sort of confirmed what we saw from Eternal Weekend and that that depths is probably very strong. But this had an absolute absolutely surprising amount of Delver where Eternal Weekend almost had none. I think that this was just a very boring top 16, don't you think? Well, I mean, it's it's not it's not spicy. I don't think that it has to be spicy to not be boring. This is what happened, right? It was a lot of Delver. Delver pushed out some decks that we thought were going to be there. Because really the reason why Sneak and Show had been performing so well was because at least in the local meadows that we had been seeing, we've been seeing sort of a lack of Delver. Yeah. And it, it makes sense that we don't see Sneak and Show. And it also makes sense that these decks are ready to fight miracles and that miracles didn't show up. But really, if you if you look at the, the metagame analysis of round 9 and round 13, there was a very small amount of Grixis control. But two ended up converting into top 8. So that sort of strength of Grixis control's performance in day 2, I, I think that we kind of already figured out over here that Grixis Control was sort of better than Grixis Delver in the metagame that people expected. And that pushing out of Grixis Delver for Grixis Control is something that I don't know if it has already happened in Japan and then it went back, or if this is sort of the event that people are going to see the conversion rate of Grixis Control and realize that it's probably a little bit better than Grixis Delver. Now, that's complete speculation, but that's the first thing that I thought about when I saw the, the meta-analysis. Yeah, I don't know, man. I feel like the borders just don't exist. Like, you know, there's there's like a language barrier, obviously, but I feel like they have access to all our information, all, all things that we see, like all the Moto results and stuff. I feel like they must have that interpreted for them and, and readily available. I don't feel like they could be that far behind that they weren't aware that, you know, Grixis Control was a deck or something. No, I'm I'm definitely not saying that. I'm saying that in the United States, a lot of people who were playing Grixis Delver switched to Grixis Control for whatever reason, card availability, perception of deck strength, whatever it is. And we sort of already talked about on the... Humans of Magic podcast or the one that we had James on the difference in mentality of Japanese players versus players in the US I'm sure that factors in a little bit to to why we're seeing what we're seeing I don't I don't have enough background information to interpret that change in mentality See I'm thinking about like Kyoto I'm thinking about Eternal Weekend but like these Japanese events in the past, they've had like these crazy innovations, right? Like we see sneak and show decks with days and miracles decks with stifle in the top eights, right? Like these these things that like are considered sacred cows that they're messing with or just very like non-traditional decisions being made. And that's kind of what we were talking about with James when he was on here. Just like their willingness to innovate and their desire to play like cards that you haven't seen. And I'm seeing some of the, like the most stock 
put you to sleep Grixis control lists. And uh, to a degree, the same thing with regard to like the the blue white Delver list. I think that was just Owen's list, right? No, it's not card for card because Owen played four spell pierce, I believe. I think you're right, actually. I, yeah, I'm fairly certain there were four spell pierce, but it is it is within five cards in the main deck in the sideboard. This person had two Gideon in the sideboard along with a Sword of Fire and Ice, and I 100% remember thinking... Actually, fuck it, we had the podcast. I 100% remember saying that if I could go back, I would want a non-blue Planeswalker in my sideboard to fight through Grixis, and I would probably have played Gideon if I could have gone back. So, I don't think there's any chance that this player listens to our podcast, but I, I see the Gideons in the sideboard and I'm happy. If anybody knows Akihiko Shota... Find out if he's a listener for us. We do have like four listens that come from Japan every week. Bro, you always say you're gonna share this data with me. I want to see this data. All right, I will. I will screenshot. I will screenshot it and I'll send it to you. I'm gonna screenshot the audacity of you saying that, so I can play it if you forget. Okay, hold on. I'm doing it right now. We can continue <laughs> to talk. All right, are we gonna have my TED talk now? Yeah, go go for your TED Talk. Uh, the show Wilford features uh, The Hobbit. Uh, I don't know his name in real life, but he's uh, a very slight man. Uh, Frodo, small. Frodo Baggins. Yeah, he's got like a pointy nose and blue eyes, and he's about five foot four and 110 pounds. He is in a show with an Australian actor who... Or maybe he's not Australian, but he speaks with an Australian accent, and he's playing a dog. Frodo, Frodo is played by Elijah Wood. Okay. Who also starred in the movie North, which is about a child trying to find a new set of parents, which is actually a pretty badass movie too. Yeah. Anyway, continue, continue. So, Wilford is a great show for so many reasons. There's like, there's the surface level where the comedy is just great. Like all the jokes hit. It's some of the best writing I've seen on cable. I think it was on FX when it originally was on the air. But some of the, some of the most brilliant writing. And then there are like two deeper levels to it. There's, there's this real psychological level where you're not really sure if this is happening, like you have to question the reality because there's this dog. It's not like, you know, they ever show how someone else perceives the dog. So you're left to question whether he's hallucinating and giving all these human properties to this dog or whether he actually just died in the first episode because it starts off with him writing his suicide note. I don't have to give spoilers because that's literally the first scene. And he's about to overdose. So he might just be dead this entire time. And it's really, really dark humor. Really interesting things to say philosophically. And just a a fucking wonderful show. You really should watch it. If you haven't watched it, I don't know what your excuse is. I say this as someone who hasn't seen Star Wars. 
How does this connect to the fucking Legacy Grand Prix of Japan? I was waiting for you to... T- I know you had, had mentioned this show to the group chat, but I really thought that you were going to tie it back in. No, you asked me to buy time while you looked some shit up, bro. Oh, did I? Yeah, you were like, I'm going to do something right now if you just talk for a minute, right? Bro, you're supposed to be sending me something. Oh, shit, you're right. I was supposed to send you the SoundCloud <laughs> thing. You're right. <laughs> my fault. So, yeah, Wilford must watch television, in my opinion. I sent it to you. Nice. We actually we- had 12 listens from Japan in the last seven days. So I undersold us. So, what were we saying? Man, I got I got sidetracked sidetracked by the Elijah Wood conversation. Have I you think... seen? Wait, wait, wait! Have you seen Wilford? No, I haven't. Have you seen even one episode of Wilford? The advertisements for it on FX, and thought to myself, "What type of fucking trash is this?" But if you're if you're giving it the thumbs up, then maybe I will have to watch it. It's it's probably the best show. It's ever been on cable, at least. I'll say that confidently. That's a bold statement. Well, what, what do you like, Law and Order more? Let's get let's get back to talking about magic. So, what did you have anything else that you wanted to add about the Grand Prix? No, just di- disappointment mostly for our seven Japanese listeners. I just want to say I'm highly disappointed in your lists. I wish I could say that in Japanese. Twelve Japanese listeners in the last seven days. I thought you said set. Okay, I'm sorry. To our 12 Japanese listeners out there, I just want to say I'm very disappointed. I wish I could say that in Japanese. But if you're listening, you probably understand English. So there's just so much here, you know? Like, we got to eat. That's what we do. And we rely on you guys, honestly. You're the innovators now. Show us something, you know? Like, anybody could show up to a tournament with Crixus Control. Anybody could show up at Grixis Delver. You gotta show us something. Did did you just, like, dishonor an entire country? No. I'm just... You know, in the words of Sean Combs, show me, homie. Jesus fucking Christ, we're quoting Puff Daddy? I'm quoting Sean Combs. Fuck you. Alright, anyway. Eldrazi won it. I'm happy. I I really like the innovation of playing the Thorns main. I think I said after the tournament that I played with it that I liked Thorn just as much as Chalice, and seeing this deck made me happy. So, I'm not sure about the Oblivion Sowers. I never really liked that card that much, but I I do like having the one Ulamog as a top end and the Grim Monolith for a little bit of extra ramp. I would be... Worried to bring this deck to a tournament in the U.S. because of all of the Baleful Strix that we've been seeing. But for a tournament that kind of lacked that saturation of Strix, then not playing Ballista and, and playing the extra top-end stuff seems like it was great. So, congratulations. Bro, so wait. What do you think about this person putting three Oblivion Sowers and one Embringer in this deck? What do you think that they're thinking when they, when they sleeve that up? That... The Oblivion Sower is just going to sort of grind out those decks trying to deny their mana. And that if 
they don't see a ton of sneak and show because of how much Delver there is. I can see Oblivion Sower sort of making it so that the Delver deck can't play its tempo spells anymore into into the next few turns. So that's a real thing that's happened to me quite a bit playing Delver online is an Oblivion Sower ends up hitting three lands just randomly and you don't have any fetchable sources anymore. That's like a real issue. But I don't think that that's what this person was thinking when they sleeved it up. Like, do you think that there's a chance they were thinking about like the top manipulation for like a Miracles matchup or, you know, like the top of the deck, like if they're trying to set up a Terminus or something or just like, you know, randomly hitting uh, cards that someone needs. Like I was telling, talking about that Delver scenario because I honestly, I would think it would be for sure three Embringers and one Oblivion Sower. Because you need you have like your eye targets, right? Like there's there's a certain amount of value in just having one copy of all these things. So if it's that card that you need at a certain time, you can go get it. But I would just rather be drawing a bunch of Endbringers. And maybe that's like a bias that I have based on the decks that I'm playing being afraid to face Endbringer because I'm playing a lot of Noble Hierarch decks. But Embringer just seems like the best thing about that deck in the mid to late game, right? Well, I don't. I don't think it's the best. I think it's a. It's your your best six. But Oblivion Sower is a cast trigger, and if you're planning on playing a bunch of Delver variants, then maybe casting that early Oblivion Sower, even if it itself gets countered, the extra lands allow you to not play into any of those soft counters throughout the rest of the game. So. Maybe it's a concession to the top of the deck with Miracles. I don't think that it is anything else other than this person didn't expect a ton of Seek and Show, which is why they're only playing one Endbringer. Playing the Ensnaring Bridge sideboard plan. They have three bridges in the side. Which is, I mean, which is great. You have an Ulamog, right? So, like, you if you are. an Ulamog, yeah. But that you can find with your eye. Like, all you need to do is just build up a gigantic board, and then you blow up your own bridge, and you swing out. So somebody puts Needle on Eye. Then you draw your Ulamog after you have a board of 100 creatures. I guess. I mean, what if Ulamog is, like, in the, the lower part of your deck, right? I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just busting balls, kind of, but I just, I, I feel like Embringer is so good. It, it. I, you're always seeing lists with between two and four Embringers now, and I think that that's completely justified. Like, you mentioned how they don't have Walking Ballista. That's all the more reason to play more Embringers, in my opinion. Well, I think they handle different scenarios, but obviously I played zero Oblivion Sower in my Eldrazi deck that I brought, and I was a little bit lower to the ground. The, how, many, how many Embringers did you play? I played two. Okay. And I think since this deck has a little bit more of a ramp element with the Grim Monolith, that the Oblivion Sower playing off a Monolith allows you to get back to that sixth spot and either play multi-spell or play into your larger your larger Eldrazi. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I'm not sold. Obviously, this person won the whole freaking tournament. There's probably something that I'm missing. Like, I really wish we could speak to this person right now and see what their what their reason for playing three Oblivion Sowers and one Endbringer is, because I honestly can't come up with... Uh... I, I just want to jam more Endbringers in. Yeah. 
I mean, I wish there was a like some sort of technology we had where you could communicate with people around the globe instantly, and even if you didn't speak the language, would be able to craft a message to send to them. Do you know about something like this? I was just I was just gonna say we have Google Translate and fucking the internet. We could, if we really wanted to know, we could probably find out. You think so? I'll make you a I'll make you a twenty dollar bet right now that you can't fan this out in twenty four hours. Oh, in twenty four hours? Probably not. All right. But how I, about how about one week? One week? Yeah, one week. Twenty dollars. How about two weeks? Two? Nah, ten days. You're not putting up anything. I'm just putting up twenty bucks. All right, let's do it. Well, now you agreed too fast. Now I feel like you should put up something. No, I mean, like, that was just free value for me. All I have to do is go on Google Translate and ask if anybody, like, anybody knows this person that could pass a message along. It's a really easy question to answer, and Magic players really like to talk about their card choices, so I, I feel like I feel like it doesn't hurt to try. All right, you have a one-week window, $20. All Take right. Take it or leave it. Bye, next cast. Bye, next gonna, cast. Yeah. Teruya Kakumai. Why are you playing three Oblivion Swords, bro? That that was sort of everything that I had to talk about, about the Grand Prix. Yeah, I, I have nothing, really. I mean, seeing this blue-white Delver deck pop up, it's kind of depressing to me because I really... Of the decks I've played since the ban, and I've played a lot of decks online since the ban, blue-white was the deck I liked the least. Now and it hurts it hurts to say that because I wanted to like the deck. But I really did not like it. I really liked playing it. I just thought that its Grixis control matchup was terrible. Yep. And this was a this was a tournament that seemed to be lacking Grixis control and the deck goes into the top 8. So like I would still be hesitant to bring it to a tournament here in the States because a bunch of people are still on Grixis control. And I think that's probably correct. But this this tournament, it didn't show up. And I think that's why we see the top eight shape up the way that it did. What do you think about the Stoneblade deck? I mean, it it's like the same deck with no Delver, right? I guess. I mean, it's, it's kind of like Miracles, too, though. Remember when you were talking about that Stasis deck last week being, like, only five cards off Miracles? This deck kind of is in a way, too, right? Yeah, but this deck has no Terminus anywhere. Right. And I I liken this more to the, the blue-white Delver deck with no Delver and some extra Planeswalkers. It's got a Verdict and a Council's Judgment, but basically it's the same deck. I think that those two are, are still very similar and you take a look at why a deck like this ends up making it into the top eight and it's an equipment based deck less so than the Delver deck because you have three Jace and you have a Teferi, but it, it is really leaning on that equipment package to be proactive. So you can sort of consider it like a hybrid miracles list, even though there's no terminus in the 75 at all. I feel like this is closer to the blue-white Delver deck than it is to Miracles. I think that this is squarely in between, but 
The only the only way I would consider this deck more than Miracles is if I thought that there was going to be a shit ton of Eldrazi. Maybe we're just wrong about Miracles. It could be, man. I, I don't know. It could be. I actually went 2-0 against Miracles this weekend, so... Maybe a deck's just trash. I don't know. So did... Did you play a little bit this weekend? I know you were dog-sitting when we got to hang out, but what did you do on MTGO? So this sounds... Dog-sitting doesn't do justice to what I was doing this weekend. You met those dogs. They're fucking crazy. They're fucking wild dogs. They're bad dogs. So, yeah. I was dog-sitting for a pack of fucking wolves, basically. Now, listen. They were, like, happy dogs, and they weren't like bitey dogs, but man, they had some energy. Uh, so Sunday they turned into drawing blood dogs, but oh no, yeah, fighting each other, not not us, but oh, uh, that's unfortunate. it was unfortunate. Yeah, I I got the food. It was a long thing, but uh, basically, I had some time to play some leagues. I played Bug, uh, like that Tom Karen's build that we've been talking about. It was actually my only bug league this week, and Tom got in at least three or four leagues. I know he 5-0'd yesterday because he sent our Discord a message about it. Uh, He continues to do really well with the deck. I like the deck. If I were honestly like focused enough right now, if I had some big event coming up, I would have to think long and hard about whether I was trying to tune that deck or the Rug Delver deck I've been playing. Because I feel like either of those decks is well positioned and needs to be fine-tuned. Like, I've done probably 10 leagues now with Rug over the course of the last couple months. And probably 6 or 7, maybe maybe 8 leagues with the Bug deck. But, you know, like nobody's really putting in a lot of work with those decks. Like, there's no consensus build or anything. Uh, we're still trying out all sorts of different stuff. And just because of the nature of what we're doing right now, like we're going into the holidays, there's no big events coming up in the rest of 2018 for us. Well, SCGCon is coming up for some people. I think they have a big legacy event, right? Yeah, but not for us, though. Okay, yeah, yeah. So I, I just felt like dicking around. So I played a league with Punishing Rug, and then I played a league with that mono blue deck. I saw the screenshot of your mono blue deck hand and board state and i felt kind of sad for you oh yeah the screen salt the three patron wizard plus other four drops in your hand with two islands and nothing to fix bro so i three two that league without ever resolving a patron wizard did you feel like if it was ever to enter play that there would just be no way you could lose no i never felt that way it was the strangest thing because that's like why I wanted to play the deck. I really wanted to cast this card. And I found half the time it was in my hand, it was uncastable. Half the time I was drawing like multiple of them and didn't want to deploy them. Sometimes I'd have a Grand Architect too. And it was just so obvious that that was the play rather than the wizard at that point in the game. The deck actually has a lot more speed than I anticipated. Like I was closing games a lot on turn five or six. And... It plays like this tempo control role. And what you're really afraid about is sweepers. That's that's like your main vulnerability is like a, a board sweeper. And, you know, Supreme Verdict is popular right now. Patron Wizard is not going to help you with that. 
Is Supreme Verdict really popular, though? Yeah, I'm, well, okay, relative to the past two years, I would say yes, absolutely. Like, you're seeing a lot of Miracles decks with, like, three Terminus, one Verdict, and then another Verdict in the side. Okay. I mean, that's not, like, you know, three of or four of popular, but it's a card that I see pretty regularly, right? I mean, like, uh, when you said we're afraid of sweepers, I 100% was just thinking Terminus Deluge. Like, those are the two that you want to... that you sort of expect to see the most and patron wizard seems pretty fine against all those yeah it's fine against those two but like like i was saying like supreme verdict is is a real concern it was a concern for me uh when i was playing against miracles in that league but i ended up beating miracles beating burn and beating a delver deck Uh, i believe it was uh grixis delver actually and I lost to Eldrazi in a match where I timed out because I had connection issues being at that different house. And I lost the last match to Death and Taxes because I was watching Wilfred. Dude, I cast a uh, grip of Peronis or whatever at the end uh, in game three. He got like a turn three sword of fire and ice, tried to swing. Oh, the, the steal, steal your man thing? Yeah, yeah. So steal your man and kill your Stoneforge with a with a germ. And he sent me a message like, "I can't believe I'm about to lose to Grip." And I was like, "Yeah, I know it's a bad card or whatever, but whatever, you know." And then he ripped uh, Stoneforge, got a jit, and then naturally drew Batter Skull. And I ended up losing this game. I actually timed out. I was watching Wilford. I wasn't paying enough attention. I missed spriting like a turn two Aether Vial. And after that, I was just kind of tilting. So this league definitely could have gone better. There's a lot I've been thinking about with the deck. So, all right, that deck doesn't play Brainstorm, right? Right. Why? So my, my original thought is that there are no fetch lands. There's only 12 blue sources. 13, but yeah. Thir- okay, 13 blue sources. And your cards are kind of redundant, right? The, not really. I mean, they're they're actually kind of specialized. Like, you know, a, a Tidebinder or Harbinger of the Tides isn't a Spellstutter Sprite, which isn't a Vendillion Click. Like, they're all disruptive. They're all, like, hate bearers, right? It's not a master of waves. Like Yeah, but you, you like, with this deck, you want to curve one, two, three, and you want them all to be dudes. Exactly. I agree. But sometimes you get stuck on two lands. Sometimes your Aether Vial gets shattered, right? Like, I think that game one, you're fine with not having brainstorms. But games two and three when you're trying to like dig to specific cards or fight against hate cards, this deck doesn't have like, um, I don't know, like, uh, it really lacked the consistency that you expect from a blue deck, right? So I would, I would be more likely to play more lands than brainstorm in a deck like this. So one thing I discovered is Riptide Laboratory is amazing, and I would not be opposed to playing a second Riptide Lab. It does suck because it can't cast so many of your spells. But 
when you do have it online, it's like a hard lock. Dude, I beat Burn in a game three where I never went below 18 life in a game against Burn, and I have no life gain in my deck. Because you had Spellstarter Sprite Riptide Lab? I had triple Sprite Riptide Lab draw, yep. That's pretty good. Dude, it was fucking <laughs> phenomenal. Like, you just can't lose that game. It felt it felt great, honestly. It, it, it felt amazing. And... Yeah, that that was super cool. I would not be opposed to playing a second Riptide Lab, but just missing Brainstorm, man. Like, I mean, but your... why why does Fish not play Brainstorm? Because of Chalice. Well, let's pretend like it was before they started to play Chalice. It's like a more aggressive Wasteland deck, and it's just a more aggro deck in general. Like with Fish, you're truly trying to tap out every turn. You're not leaving anything up, right? You don't. This deck plays. I don't know the name of it, but it it had three of a two drop Merfolk that taps a creature and removes all its abilities until end turn. I want to call it Merfolk Tie Bender, but I'm not sure. It plays two clicks. It plays a Vencer. It plays four spell starter sprites. There's a lot of instant speed stuff. And there's a lot of times if your opponent passes, you're not just casting a spell starter sprite for no value. So you end up just, okay, they passed, you know. You have opportunities to brainstorm with this deck, I've found. And like with all Chalice decks, or excuse me, with all Aether Vial decks, you can't play six vials or eight vials like you'd like to. So you have to accept the fact that some of your games are not going to be vile games, right? Right. So you have to play some of these games at instant speed, holding up your mana like like a, like a more fair game you know not like this this bullshit when i have vile it feels like you're cheating right dude by the way vile sucks online right now but that's another story why because you can't like auto stack the the vials you have to individually click on them i don't know when this happened because i haven't played a vile deck in a while but you have to individually click on them and then you have to like do this weird hover thing to figure out which vial you're talking about because there's no like obvious reference to which vial it is. And you can't set like the the autos for vials in general. It's each each vial has its own yes or no. Mm-hmm. I fucked up vials so many times yesterday. Okay. But, so yeah, anyway, the changes that I want to make to this deck because I definitely want to play it again. I want to... C- cut or slash move to the board at least one patron wizard make room for like a true name in the main deck go figure get the fourth grand architect in the main deck because that card was amazing and get a second ballista in the main deck because that card holy shit did i underestimate remember when i asked you why they were playing ballista yeah holy fuck was i wrong so yeah grand arbiter gets that double convoke thing going and you just drop a cavern and put it on construct and you're you're pumping out ballistas for like 10 it's it's insane bro like the the number i think it won me 3 games just dropping some huge ass ballista towards the end of the game and you can't answer it right because w- no matter what you have you could have a fucking crossing grip and i'll just hold priority and just machine gun you like it it was unstoppable it was the best Ballista's ever felt that I've played it. Well, I guess Food Chain, but whatever. 
Yeah, I mean, that that was the reason that I thought that, that was in the deck. I'm glad that that seemed like it was. Yeah, so there were actually three more in the board. I don't know if you noticed that when we were looking at the deck last week, but I didn't notice that. And I ended up bringing in... I brought them in against everything. I, I don't know if I brought them in against Burn, actually, but I brought them in against Delver. It mowed down Young Pyromancers. I brought it in against Miracles just to drop an uncounterable, you know, last three damage or whatever. Uh, I brought it in against Eldrazi, obviously. It was great. Uh, Death and Taxes, great. It, it just seemed like a great card. So I'm very excited to try this list. I want to work with this list more. It, it was definitely the highlight of my weekend playing. Awesome. Were you able to play it all this weekend? Uh. No, I had family stuff going on and we got to hang out a little bit and uh, other than cleaning and laundry and dishes, that's that's what my weekend was. Bro, I feel like uh, we need to get you back in the swing of things. So the uh, the legacy challenge this week, I don't know if you had a chance to look at that. I did. It, Dude, what a fucking mess. What happened? I feel like, you know, like, uh, sneak, sneak, omni, ant, ant, lands, what, like, death and taxes, what the fuck is this, bro? Black, red reanimator, like, it's combo. This challenge is the complete polarized opposite of what we saw in Japan other than the Death and Taxes deck that finished second, right? Like, it's all combo. This is combo the comboing, bro. This is, like... When, these decks do not even care if they have an opponent or not. Where's the first fair deck we see? We see Grixis Control in 11th, and Grixis Delver in 12th, and then it continues with combo. There's a string of, like, hex, hex, hex... Like, I, I want to say, like, 14 through, like, 17 or something. It's all depths. I mean, people people love combo. So I actually was going to play. I was literally about to play in the challenge. I was going to play Rogue. And then I saw a tweet from that dude, Truckus, that high tide guy. Yeah, Marcus. Some, and Marcus, uh, I, 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 I follow him on Twitter. But, yes. Truckus. Yeah, Truckus. Yeah. So he said... Uh, public service announcement it's the last day to use your mox points and i had like 40 or so mm-hmm. and i was like oh shit you know thanks for the heads up so i i joined the mox instead of playing in the challenge which was regrettable i ended up going four three and killing hours of my day with a shit pool but you know i had to give it a shot yeah, uh, you got actually to, you got to actually play. our boy adam wallace went six two so what, what does that for, does that qualify him for the Mox big tournament? Yeah, and like around Christmas time, he's in like the the Mox playoff thing now. Okay, good for him. Yeah, yeah, that's the goal. So yeah, good for him. I couldn't get there unfortunately, and I took my losses. I started out three zero, which is like the worst because if you start out zero one, you just drop right. That's never me. I'm always like right on the cusp, so I'm wasting like maximum number of hours. But that's the wrong way of looking at it. You got to play live for the maximum number of hours. There's nothing that substitutes for that competitive feeling of playing matches that you are 
that you're live in, right? Have you ever, have you ever bet on sports? Yes. Have you ever but, played blackjack? But you're not, you're not, okay, so blackjack, sure, but you're not really playing. Like, when the dealer is flipping their cards, you're sitting there and watching. When you're playing magic, you have a say in everything that happens, Right. I mean, kind of. Or okay. sometimes you sometimes you draw two planes and five red cards, and you're like, "Do I keep this?" You know, and then you mulligan and see a six with no lands, and oh, then okay, right? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you don't have a say, and sometimes that's how your tournament ends, and it's just bullshit. Yep. That's magic. Well, that's why it's yeah. such a great game. I'm with you over there, and it's just frustrating when you're like four and two. And you're like, oh, fuck. Like, am I really going to spend another hour doing this? Like, your match ends and there's 37 minutes left in the round. And you're tethered to this fucking laptop playing this limited format. You could give two shits about. This is, by the way, my worst limited format in years. Like, my win percentage is like a flat 50 in this limited format. Well, then stop complaining about losing. But just understand that if your win percentage is about 50% and you're 4-2 and you need to go 6-2... You got yourself to a spot where you have a twenty five percent chance of making it. Sometimes yeah, it that's literally exactly what I was thinking at that point. That's I mean, that's you you do the best to put yourselves in the position to win. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Like you can be eleven and one at a Grand Prix and have things go south. It happens. And it's not because of how you played, but that's magic. And you just need to put yourself in a position to where you can finally convert one of those finishes. So if people want to get in touch with you, you can find me at tsmileymtg. And if you want to check out the raffles we're doing for the holiday sponsor a family drive, you can find us at Dead Format Cast on Twitter as well. So where can people get in touch with you if they want to tell you that people who drink warm Miller Lite are terrible? At Ian18125 on Twitter deadformatcast at gmail.com it's a twitter and the email in one shot uh, alright <laughs>